Psalm 129 as we continue in the summer series of the Songs of Ascent. Traveling Psalms is a children, <laughs> as the children of Israel made their way to Jerusalem for the festival season. Okay. All right. My house is quiet. What can I say? Okay. Psalm 129. Follow along as we read from God's word. Many times they have assailed me from my youth up. Let Israel now say, many times they have assailed me from my youth up, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they lengthened their furrows. The Lord is righteous, he has cut up the cords of the wicked. Let all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. Let them be like grass upon the rooftops which dries up before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaths the fold of his garment. For those who pass by will not say, the blessings of the Lord be upon you. We will bless you in the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow our heads in prayer before the morning sermon. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day you've given to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you specifically for the book of Psalms and all the wisdom that it has to give to us. Be with Pastor Steve as he uh, teaches this psalm to us and uh, explains it to us so you can change us from the inside out. Thank you for your word again. Amen. Thanks, Greg. When people ask me, um, how how can I pray for you? People say that to me a lot. They know just by looking at me, that I need prayer, and so they ask me, how can, how can I pray for you? Uh, and I love that question, and uh, one of the, the, the things that pop to my head, there's a few things that pop to my head, a couple of them are um, wisdom and courage. I always feel like I need wisdom and courage, um, and I've, I've been thinking about that a lot this week as I've been getting this uh, sermon ready um, is is I th- I think that maybe there are times when I think I need wisdom when what I actually need is courage. Sometimes I sometimes I I, I think you know what I really wish I knew what to do what to say in this situation. There are a lot of times where I know what to do, I know what to say, I'm just afraid to do it, afraid to say it. Following Jesus takes courage. Um, and it's not, I mean, we, we read the dramatic stories of the past, or we even read the dramatic stories that are happening around the world, where where followers of Jesus face intense persecution. Um, And so, we don't need that kind of courage. It looks very different in our lives. Um, but, But I think in one way or the other, um, we run into this often in our lives, where we need, if we're going to, if we're going to say the thing that we should say, if we're going to do the thing that we should do, um, 
We need courage. We, we, we're, we're in danger sometimes of losing close friends or losing relationships with family members because we want to obey the Word of God and we want to speak the truth of the Word of God, but we know that it's, it's going to come off offensive. We, we know that people we love are, are deeply offended by the Word of God and what it has to say. So it takes courage for us, and sometimes it takes wisdom, right? Sometimes it takes wisdom to know how to say things and, and when to say things. Um, but oftentimes, we know how and we know when, we just lack the courage to actually do it. It takes courage for, for husbands and fathers to lead their families well. It takes courage for us to have these conversations with, uh, and I've been talking with um, some people about this a lot lately, you there are, there are a lot of people who are perfectly fine with you personally holding to a position um, where you personally saying, oh, I would never, you know, I would, I would never get an abortion. I would never, I, I, would, I mean, I, this, is, this is the way that I think about um, marriage. This is the way I think about gender and sexuality and sanctity of life and whatever. You, you know, uh, this, is, this is what the Bible has to say. They're fine with you having that in your own personal life. Um, but they would find it very offensive if, if you would say in any way that that applies to everyone else. If you try to bring that to bear on their lives, they're going to find it offensive. I mean, sometimes they find it offensive just to know that you believe it for your own self, but, but oftentimes, they'll be bothered, they'll be offended. Um, if you speak of these kinds of issues as if the Bible just sort of applies to everyone, Very offensive. If we're going to follow Jesus, I mean, we, there's a, you, you have the option of sort of just distancing yourself from everybody who disagrees with you, right? So you, you have that option of going like the, the hermit, you know, sort of, the, sort of the, the, the hermit option, right? Where you just sort of distance yourself from everyone who disagrees with you and you just don't really say anything to anyone ever about anything. You can do that. You can, I mean, you can kind of narrow life down to where it's just you and the four or five people who agree with you. But I don't think that really is the way um, Jesus, I don't think that's what Jesus means when, he's, when he said, go into the world and make disciples. I don't, that doesn't, those two things don't go together. But then the other option is to have lots of friends who disagree with you, but never ever speak the truth to them. And that option is no good either. So we want the courage to actually make disciples. Which means we, we want the courage to actually say, here's what the Word of God says. Here's why we need Jesus. Here's what it looks like to honor Him with our lives. So what we want is the courage that's found in this psalm. This, this courage that says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We, we, we may very well suffer some sort of persecution for it. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Either way, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to stick with what the Word of God says, come what may. 
We're going to fear the Lord and walk in his ways, come what may. And so as we sit with this psalm this morning, we think carefully about it, what we see is that this psalm helps us grow in exactly that kind of courage. So we're going to look at this psalm and we're going to see there are four ways that we can grow in the kind of courage we need if we're going to follow Jesus. Four ways to grow in courage. The, the kind of courage we need if we're going to follow Jesus. Number one, number one, we must know our history. We must know our history. Verses 1 through 4 say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. It's a fascinating verse. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say. So the, so the whole nation of Israel, the whole people of God, are speaking as one person. And they're speaking as, a, as now a very old person who, from the very moments of their youth, from the very beginnings of their youth, they have suffered affliction. Verse 2, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The powers plowed upon my back, they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. So this is the history of the people of God. This is the, it's the history of Israel. It's also the history of the church. Much like Israel, the, the people of God in the New Testament were born into persecution. Since the earliest days, of Christianity, the people of God have been persecuted. We were, since our youth, in the A.D. 60s, uh, Nero, Roman Emperor Nero, would routinely, um, I mean, it was, it, was, it was horrifying. It wasn't, it was horrifying. He would routinely force Christians to wear animal skins and then have them torn apart by savage dogs. He, he had many of them crucified. He thought, it would be, he thought it was great to burn their bodies and, and, and he would use their, their burning bodies to, to light his, his garden parties. The, 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 the burning corpses of Christians would provide outside lighting for his party. Um, and if you comb through the pages of history since the time of Nero, you're going to find story after story after story of the people of God being brutally persecuted. Verse 3 is almost too graphic, isn't it? The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. That's, that's almost too much. That's, that's, almost, that's, that's almost too graphic, isn't it? Because there's a, and there's a two-part kind of cruelty there as well. There's the violence, just the, just the basic violence of the verse is, is awful, but then there's also this like thoroughness. The persecutors made long their furrows. They did a, they did a thorough job. They, they, they worked hard and they worked long at persecuting the people of God. And we have to remember, as we, as we look at this, we remember this is our story. Verse 1 says, they have afflicted me from my youth. The, the people of God think of themselves as one. So when we... When we think about, the, when we read through the stories of, of church history, or even if we read stories that are happening around the world today, we, we remember these are our people. This is our story. It's very likely that, the, um, that when the, 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 the travelers to Jerusalem were singing this song, 
Psalm 129. When they, were, when they were singing, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Most of these people hadn't been afflicted all that much. Most of the people that were singing this song as a song of ascent, they, weren't, they, weren't, they were kind of like where we are now. They, they were living in pretty peaceful times. Their life wasn't perfect, but they could go to Jerusalem. They weren't in exile anymore. They weren't in danger anymore. Their life was not perfect. Jerusalem was not what it used to be. But, but they weren't in danger of persecution. No one was going to plow along their back. But when they sang this song, they sang it as one. These are, these are our people. This is our story. This is our history. So it's vital for us to understand that all those who have suffered for the sake of the Gospel, they're they're your brothers and sisters. This is your story. So we can gain actual strength and courage by remembering that time and time again, the Lord has brought the church through incredibly violent suffering and affliction. It's good for us to know our history. It's... It's good for us to read the stories of martyrs and heroes down through the ages. Men and women who are faithful. They were, they were tortured. They were killed simply for doing what we're doing this morning. And to see their courage and their faithfulness that God gave to them. To know they were just people like you and me. And to know that He can give us that same kind of courage. He can give us that same kind of faithfulness. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, even like in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there's... There's stories of like intense persecution, but then there's also stories of just rest. Where the church was at rest, there wasn't much persecution, and the church just sort of grew. So sometimes it grew in the midst of persecution. Sometimes it grew in the midst of peace. I think all of us know, and we can be thankful, that, that for the last several generations, at least in our country here, we've known a lot of peace, a lot of freedom. We have no idea what the future holds. We have no idea what kind of courage we're going to need in the months and years to come. Maybe it'll be big and dramatic. Maybe it'll be the stuff of like church history books. And and maybe it'll be small and subtle. But, But whatever situation arises, we can look back. We can know our story like the people of God. Our story, our history. And know that the kind of courage that we need to to hold tight to the Word of God come what may, God has been giving that to His people for generations. He'll give it to us as well. So it's important that we know our history. We must know our history. Number two, we must rejoice in the Lord's righteousness. We must rejoice in the Lord's righteousness. The, the Verse 4 says, the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. So why is it true that the church has been plowed deep by the wicked and yet still survived? Why are we still here today? Why is 2 Corinthians 4 true? We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why is that the story of the church? Why did we survive? Why has the Lord protected us? Why has He continued to build His church and to build His kingdom? Build His house? Because He is righteous. That's the reason. He is good. He is true. He is faithful to His promises. He is merciful to the people He has chosen for Himself. He is good to those who trust in Him. He is faithful and He is true. He is righteous. This is our hope. 
Our hope is not found in our own righteousness or our own faithfulness. Our hope is found in the Lord and Him alone. The Lord has cut the cords of the wicked. I looked up in commentaries this week, what does that mean, that the Lord has cut the cords of the wicked? So I consulted the brainiacs, the ones who published the books, and they were divided, um, which they always are. So it either means that um, the Lord took away the cords that they were whipping the people of God with, right? So there's, there's these people, that, the cords there is the idea of a whip, and the, and the persecutors are whipping the people of God, and, and God has cut their cords, which means they, they no longer have whips to whip the people of God with. Or it could mean that he took away the cords that were connecting the, the um, this is much more graphic, but connecting the, 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 the yoke of oxen to the plow with which they were trampling the people of God. Either way, the point is the same. The Lord intervened when the people of God were being persecuted, when we were being persecuted. Those who would have destroyed us have been stopped. The church has survived because the Lord is righteous. And so we kind of carry that in with us today. We, we know what the, what the first century Christians knew. Is that one day the Lord will put all things right. So it's good for us. It's, is, it, is it graphic? Is it a little bit gruesome? Uh, yeah, and I think if you've listened to, um, most of you have listened to more sermons of mine that you really bargained for, but you've listened, you've listened to a lot of my sermons, and you know I don't, like, I, I, do, I don't think I kind of tend to be dramatic or try to, like, you know, uh, I, I don't try to over-dramatize persecution and those kinds of things. But it is good for us to remember that there were first century Christians whose, whose corpses were used as torches for Nero's garden parties. It's good to remember that because it's good to also remember that one day, those same Christians who suffered in that way are going to be honored and blessed and given a seat at the table at the only party that really matters. Jesus is going to make all things new. He's going to put all things right. And this is because He is righteous. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. So there is courage that comes from celebrating the Lord's righteousness. Because there are times, absolutely, um, and I've already faced them, and you have too, and we're going to just keep facing them until we're dead. There are times when we just have to simply say, no, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm I'm going to submit to his word. I know this may not work out well for me right now. I, I, may, I, I know that my teenage daughter may be frustrated with me if I just say, nope, the word of God says this. This is what we're going to do. I, I, know, I know she may not be super happy with me. I, I know that my, my co-worker, I, I know that they may sort of just kind of ghost me from, from, from now on out. They may stop kind of interacting with me. They may look at me funny. I, I, I know that I'm going to... I could possibly miss out on relationships. I could, I could possibly miss out on opportunities. I, I may lose credibility in this world. I, I, I know that I'm not going to... Probably, maybe, maybe I will, but probably not. I'm probably not going to suffer the way my, my forefathers did, my, my, my ancestors did. I'm not going to suffer like that, but I am... I'm going to suffer. But the Lord is righteous. 
At the appropriate time, he will cut the cords of the wicked. He will make all things new. We, we grow encouraged by celebrating the Lord's righteousness. We must know our history. We must celebrate the Lord's righteousness. Number three, we must pray for the wicked to fail. We must pray for the wicked to fail. The Lord answers our prayers, and here's a prayer that He loves to answer. So we're going to have the kind of courage that that God desires us to have, that God intends for us to live with, then we must pray for the wicked to fail. Verses five, starting in verse 5, the, this little song takes a pretty sharp turn at verse 5. Verse 5 through 8 says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, which, with, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So verse 5 is now this prayer that the wicked would fail. Verse 5 is using war language, to be put to shame and turned backward. Those are like military terms. It's picturing the people, of, the people who are rebelling against God, the people who are rebelling against the Word of God, the people who hate Zion, which is where the, the presence and the joy and the people and the Word of God is. People, people who line themselves up against God, we pray that they would be put to shame. And turned backwards. Verse, verses 6 and 7 isn't really military language. It's more like harvest language. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up. It's the idea, like, so in the, in the, um, in the Middle East, in the, in the Bible times, Old Testament, New Testament times, um, people would, when they made their roof tops, um, they would use um, branches, and they would use dirt, and they would make layers um, for their rooftop. And, and oftentimes, in the, in the rainy weather, in the spring, grass would grow up on people's r- rooftops, up on their housetops. Grass would grow up in, that, in those branches and in that dirt. Um, but of course, summer heat came. There's no shade. Summer, summer heat came, and those, um, that, that grass withered and died before it before it grew up at all, before it, was, before it was even a handful or an armful. It died before it was nothing. It, it withered and died quickly. This sort of pictures Psalm 1, doesn't it? Blessed is the man who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. His, his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But verse 4, the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. This is what we're praying for. This is a prayer that God loves to answer. This is a, this is a prayer that continues to give us courage and perspective. It helps us to see the world correctly. We pray that the wicked would come to nothing. They would, they would make no impact. They would have no lasting success or fruitfulness. That's a, a, he captures that powerfully in, the, in verse 8 there of our psalm. Nor do those who pass by say the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So this is more, this is more harvest language. Maybe you remember in the book of Ruth where um, the harvesters say to each other, 
the blessing of the Lord be upon you. And we bless you in the name of the Lord. They, they exchange that greeting with each other. They, we, they exchange that prayer with each other. They, 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 they're praying that the Lord's blessing will be upon them. This is a prayer that God would give His people a good harvest. Well, no one's going to pray that over the wicked. In fact, we're praying the opposite. We're praying for fruitlessness. We're praying for failure. We're praying that whatever it is the wicked are trying to do, that it would come to nothing. Now, here's a fun question. Is that nice? Is that, a, is that a thing that Christians should do to pray that the wicked would fail? That feels a little harshish, right? <laughs> it feels a little not nice. Is it even nice to call them the wicked? Eh, that doesn't sound cool either. We should think of a, just a more neutral term. I mean, what about what Jesus says in Matthew 5? Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And then later on he says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So can we love our enemies and also simultaneously pray that they would fail? Yes. Yeah, I think so. In fact, if you think about it this way, perhaps the kindest thing you could do for them is pray that they would fail. Pray that whatever it is they're planting would fall apart. Pray that whatever evil they're planning would would come to nothing. That there would be no lasting harvest from their efforts. That all of it would just be like kind of grass that grows up quickly, dies quickly, and is gone. That there would be no lasting impact. And right along with that, we can absolutely pray that when they are brought to nothing, by God's grace, they will find everything they need in the mercy of Jesus Christ. We can pray that, that when they come up completely empty, they will find fullness and forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ alone. It's perfectly good to pray. For like, I, I mean, sometimes I read stories on, on what extremists are doing in Nigeria. Heartbreaking stuff. Murderous, terrible stuff. And I can, I can pray for sure that they would be put to shame and turned backwards. That they would be thwarted in their attempts to take the lives of, of defenseless Christians. But in the midst of that, I can also pray that they will be brought to their senses. They will be brought into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And by the way, where are you this morning? It's good for all of us to remember there are the people who are in Christ and then there are the wicked. There isn't a third option. There's not a third option. I mean, we can make it, I can say something nicer, I can say something more neutral, I can, I can give it a nicer word if you want me to, but I'm not doing you any favors. Because if if you've never believed the gospel, you will be punished in hell with the wicked. You are among the wicked. Either, either, you have, either you have 
bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, either you have turned to Him as your Savior, or you are in rebellion against Him. Either you trust in Him, and He is your only hope in life and death, and His work on the cross is is all that your claim for, for forgiveness of your sins and reconciliation to God. Either Jesus Christ is everything to you, or you are in rebellion against Him. There's not a third option. So please, please, please believe that you are a sinner before God and you need His mercy through Jesus Christ. And then, and then Christians, when, when we see the wicked plotting and planning against the Word of God, when we see the, the wicked plotting and planning against the people of God, we, we should, we must pray in those situations, God, please stop them. Please cause them to fail. And of course, along with that, we pray that the way God would stop them would be to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ into their darkened hearts. I mean, their hearts aren't any darker than ours were when God saved us. Courage comes from praying that the wicked would fail. And then our our fourth and final way to grow in courage. Number four, we must remember the wounds of our Savior. We must remember the wounds of our Savior. In Isaiah 50, the, the Messiah says, in Isaiah 50, the Messiah says, I gave my back to those who strike. I gave my back to those who strike. In Isaiah 53, this is what the prophet says of the Messiah. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus had his back Cloud open. They made deep furrows in the back of our Savior. And this is because Jesus gave His back to those who strike. He gave it to them so that we could be healed. He had His back plowed open in order to pay for the sins that we have committed. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. So when we need courage, and we often do, and, and I know, I know, our, like our situations, they seem sort of puny and seem almost embarrassing when we say them out loud, but we still need courage. We need courage. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know what to say and how to say it, but we also need to do it. We, we, we need to just do it. We need courage. So when we are facing pressure to hide our commitment to Jesus, when we are facing pressure to hide our commitment to His Word, we remember He did not hide. He did not hide His back from those who strike. He gave His back to those who strike. And He did this so we could be saved. And and He did this so that we can be sure that in the end, He will put all things right. He will once and for all cut the cords of those who persecute 
His people. He will, once and for all, heal us. He made sure of that when He gave His back to those who strike. So, so by His grace, we can have courage to live for His glory, come what may. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Son who gave His back to those who strike. We thank You for Your Son who gave His back to those who strike. We are often tempted to hide. We are tempted to hide. Um, we, just, we just feel a little embarrassed, a little uneasy, a little unsure. We find ourselves in situations even with people who are very close to us. Our, our children, our sons, our daughters, our, our relatives, our close relatives, our, our close friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We live in a world that, is, that just loves vagueness and loves just sort of uh, letting people do their own thing and find their own way and if it's right for them, it's right for them and who's to say otherwise. We just we live in a, a world that makes it makes us very uncomfortable about committing to the word of God in in clear, unashamed ways. We absolutely pray for compassion, God, and and Pray that we would that we would uh, speak the truth with with kindness. That we'd be people of mercy. That we'd be people of patience. We absolutely pray for that. But we also, along with that, God, pray that we would be people of of courage. That no matter what the consequences might be, that we would have the courage um, to to follow Jesus to live life according to His Word. Come what may. Help us with that, God. We depend on You. We cannot conjure this up in our own. We need You. Pray that You'd help us. In Christ's name, Amen.